the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back to the show. It's Matt Browning, your host. How are you? I hope you're having a good week so far. You know, I always hope you're having a good week, and I really mean it every time. Every time, I hope you're having a good week. I'm having a phenomenal week. As I record this right now, um, we are right in the middle of a six-day NLP, personal development, uh, coach certification training in Orange County, California. Today is day four. So if you're listening to this as the episode drops, I'm in Orange County on the West Coast, so feel free to hit me up at Matt Brawny. Make sure you find me on social media. Uh, and I'd be happy to say hello. I'm happy to say hello. If you're new to the to the show, welcome. Welcome to the show. We are all about interviewing, especially on Interview Fridays like today. We're all about interviewing phenomenal entrepreneurs with great character and have great stories. And we dive in and discover what made them, what shaped them, what they've been through. And then we get some some tips and some hacks and, and some lessons that they've learned along the way that you can apply in your life and in your business today. And today I have a very special guest. His name is Jade Molina. Um, Jade and I became very fast friends very quickly. Uh, we've been running around in the same mastermind circles and seminar circles for a while. And, uh, you know, the moment we met, I just thought, gosh, this guy is great. I like him. Like, a, as a man, as a human being, he's phenomenal. And I'm humbled to say he felt very similar about me. Uh, we just had this great connection, kind of a bromance, as you, as it were. And then I found out more about Jade, and it, it blew me away. He's, uh, he's a, an educator and a speaker and a coach. He's a fellow podcaster as well. Uh, the first thing I learned about him is he's the spiritual life director at Oaks Christian School, one of the nationally recognized preparatory schools in Southern California. So he's right here in the L.A. Uh, region. And... You know, so he's been spending a lot of his time really building up the youth of today and building them up in faith and in character and and, and strength. He also has a massive uh, sports background. He served as the director for physical readiness training for the United States Navy. He's a master uh, instructor for the National Academy of Sports Medicine. He was a director of operations for a top 100 health club. And he was a performance consultant for, get this mom, Dancing with the Stars. That's right. He was a performance consultant for Dancing with the Stars. Pretty cool stuff. Um, you know, he's been having drawing from his 25 years of experience as a military veteran, a small business owner. He's a teacher. He's a professional strength and fitness coach. He's also a pastor, a youth leader, a spiritual life director. He does it all. And he has a really cool podcast you got to check out. You've also seen him on ABC, Men of Growth, Muscle and Fitness, uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios, or some of the, the places he's been featured and people he's worked with. Um, he's done a couple of short films called Man's, Academ- uh, Man's Epidemic and The Journey of Manhood. So a lot of what he works on today is exactly that. He has a great uh, podcast from the Men of Growth. The podcast is called Grow or Die. And he centers, and we'll talk about it in the interview with Jade. He talks about the four F's, the four foundations um, of, of fitness and in health, really of success in life. So I'll let him get into that uh, with you. But without any further ado, I cannot wait to introduce you to my friend, my colleague, uh, someone I'm just so blessed to know, and I know you will be too. Uh, Let's listen up to the interview with Jade Molina. So here we are. 
Here we are, man. Man, we uh, I've been looking forward to this for a while, ever since we first talked, and now it's finally time. Um, thank you also for making it down into the podcast studios, which Absolutely, is pretty cool. Man. Excited to be here. Thank I've been looking you. forward to it as well. Nice. So we had a really great chat. Um, I don't know you that well yet, though, mm-hmm. but I feel like I do because we've been every time we talk, we just kind of don't stop. Um, well, when you find a brother, you find a brother, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I told everyone already, of course, in the open, uh, all about how awesome you are and everything. But I want to get into I want to get into a few um, interesting elements, kind mm-hmm. of about about your. The thing I'm most interested in about you is your take on life, mm. uh, your take on growth, uh, on faith, on business, and just everything you're doing. Uh, yeah. And I think you, you've been very successful in this. And as an entrepreneur, what I love about your journey is you're in this phase, as we record this interview, of really like getting momentum behind you. And uh, I'd almost dare say in the beginning stages of the entrepreneur side of it, but um, but everything else you've been doing, the growth work, like yeah. you've been doing that for years and years. So I want to focus a lot on that. Um, you live in Thousand Oaks now. You're married. Thousand Oaks, married. Three 20, children. Over 20 years. Got three kids. Over 20 years? How yeah. far over? Do you remember? Uh, let's see. We are 22 years. We've been together 29. Uh, we were high school sweethearts, so 16 years old. Uh, Going into our junior year of high school, my wife and I, Stephanie, uh, started dating. Going into your junior year? Going into our junior year of high school. Wow. I know it's rare. <laughs> it is. You, you don't you don't hear that a lot. What's what's the secret? I, I know you've you I know yeah. you've gone through a lot of uh, evolutionary changes. I'm sure individually and together. Um, how, how do you, how do you manage the changes and phases of like your identity and who you are as mm-hmm. you know you get into your tenth year, your twentieth year of marriage? You know, I, it, that's a great question. I don't know if I could have answered this even five, six years ago. Mm. Um, I would have made some BS up trying to say, here's how it worked. But right. what I've learned when I look back now uh, is it's our individual commitment to personal growth, which drives us closer together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being in, in harmony and in unity in the areas in what I call our four pillars, you know, in our faith pillar in our commitment to our uh, fitness pillar, being mm-hmm. fit human beings, being uh, people committed to our family, and then people committed to, you know, she supports me in all my vocational and entrepreneur uh, endeavors. Yep. So I think that when if personal growth in each of our lives and our supporting that, but man, communication, being honest, the truth will set you free. That's what you, communication Honesty. Yes. I love that. Those two factors have been part of our relationship. I wasn't always a nice guy. I wasn't always, uh, you know, um, easy to deal with. That's hard. And I'll get into that here I get in a, in a moment. But uh, I, I don't know if it's a secret. It's just freaking hard work, man. You know, it, <laughs> it's interesting, Jason. That actually might be the secret is that it, it is, in fact, hard work. Yeah. And because it doesn't always feel good. Like when you say, oh, honesty and communication, I don't know anyone listening who, who's going to say, oh, I don't believe in that. You know, maybe, yeah. you, you know, one or two people, right? You got to hide your secrets. But for the most part, I think people would agree with that. But living it out day by day, because sometimes it's easy, but sometimes you go, man, do I really want to share this vulnerable thing of how I feel right now? Mm-hmm. Or I'm frustrated. Do I need to express that or do I not? So just the idea of hard work. Yeah, is it, sometimes communication is hard work, and sometimes honesty is hard work. But just being willing to do it, I love that. Did you uh, Did you grow up in California? I did. Yeah. Uh, don't hold it against me. I'm from Bakersfield, California. Wow. All Some right. People this, pod, call it, this, this, <laughs> interview is, this interview is over. 
<laughs> some people no. call it the uh, some people call it the armpit of uh, California, but I think Barstow's the armpit. But Bakersfield's <laughs> up, up pretty high. But uh, I, no, it was a good old boy town, man. I, I loved growing up there. Uh, but you know, when I was twenty, when I was twenty years old, I ended up bouncing out of Bakersfield. I had kind of hit a low point, like, dude, I got to get out of town, man, and go find myself. And so I ended up dropping out of college. Mm-hmm. Dropped out from playing college baseball, and I joined the Navy. And uh, but you know, Bakersfield. How still, old were you when you joined the Navy? I was twenty. Twenty years yeah. old. So okay. I'd done two years of college. Okay. Uh, trying to figure life out and wasn't working so well. And uh, and I, was, I woke well, you up. were in Bakersfield. Exactly. Sorry, no offense. <laughs> Look, if you if you're from Bakersfield. <laughs> We're teasing mostly. Just, yeah, mostly just teasing. Relax, take but there's a breath. some reality to it too, man. Yeah, take a breath; it'll be okay. My kids. So what's funny about it is my kids, they love going to Bakersfield and visiting. You know, grandma, grandpas, cousins, aunts and uncles. And after about three, four days, they're like, "Can we go home now?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there's there, there's not that much. So you wanted to get the heck out of Bakersfield and yeah. And you joined the service. I needed to go. What, what was the what was the the motivation? What was the main thing you said? This is why I'm doing this. Or did you think well, like I that? was I was a lost human being. You know? My 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 entire family's from Bakersfield. I grew up in a home where, uh, you know, hard work was the greatest virtue. Yeah. Uh, education was not necessarily you know knowledge wisdom uh, wasn't the greatest virtue. So yeah. um, as long as I was working hard. You know that that was what mattered. But I, uh, through the course of, you know, becoming a young man, getting out of my home, I found myself starting to party and drink and make bad decisions mm-hmm. and treat people poorly. And you know, I dropped out of school. I hated school. And you drop out of school, you can't play ball. Yeah. So, now so you I'm, dropped out. This is college not, or high school? This was college. College. Okay. So now I'm not doing the things that I love to do. And I'm partaking in behavior. You're playing baseball? Yeah, I was playing baseball. I figured you look like a baseball yeah, guy. Middle yeah, middle infielder. And um, I, I am now engaging in activities that I think are fun, you know, a party lifestyle. Yeah. Drinking every night. And one morning, after about a year and a half, almost two years of this lifestyle, uh, broke up with my high school sweetheart. There was, there was a time, you know, uh, we just talked about it. But You're talking it about your wife. Where I, I broke up with her for about three months. And um, I woke up one morning, man, and I was hungover. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to escape mm-hmm. this environment and go into a new one. And I had an uncle that was in the Navy. There was a guy working at the place I had worked at. Um, I was working at this little medical facility for six bucks an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Living the dream, right? Absolutely. And this dude had just got out of the Navy and was telling me how great it was. And he was transferring into the uh, fire academy. And I just woke up like, I'm going to go join the Navy. Hmm. So I, I got up, hung over, went to the Navy recruiter's office, took my ASVAB test, came back, and I signed up. I'm going. That's it. Yeah, and I was gonna. Uh, I was when I originally went in, uh, I was gonna be a medic. I was gonna be a corpsman. Um, unfortunately, uh, when I was in boot camp and they went through and did my background investigation, mm-hmm. uh, they found out I had a minor in possession of alcohol. Oh no! And so that eliminated me from that job, and the job, you know, uh, offers that I had went down to almost nothing, and I picked radioman. And I was like, what the hell's a radioman? And they're like, well, you're in communications and you'll deal with computers. I was like, man, I don't even know how to com- turn a computer on. And right. This was 1993. 
And so, uh, so this is like you know to date us a yeah, couple yeah. Of years before the internet is really even. Yeah, the internet. I didn't even know what, there was no email. There yeah, was no yeah. email. There wasn't any Facebook. There was no, yeah. none of that stuff. So anyway, I go to uh, get out of boot camp. I go to a school, get trained up in how to be a radio man, a radio man, and uh, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, it sounds um, like it. I learned how to use technology. Learned how to communicate well. Ended up writing a standard uh, operating procedure for uh, the Navy that. Um, ended up being involved in one of the manuals for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, a standard procedure, and uh, ended up making the All Navy baseball team. Really? Yeah. Wow. And that was a cool. That was a cool deal. So you get to play baseball after all. We do play baseball. Well, you I get actually, to play baseball I got, after I all. I did. So even I had though you two got cut. years of doing nothing, and then that itch started coming back, and I found out there was an All Navy, uh, you know, air quotes, <laughs> uh, baseball team, and you had to have either played college ball or had some type of pro experience to even try out. So I called up the coach, said, hey, here's where I'm from. And he's like, all right, come on out, and we'll try you out. Wow. And I, at that time, I had been working really hard on getting back into the game. I had been you know, lifting weights, training, and uh, I wanted to play ball, and I made the team. Ended wow. up becoming the starting second baseman. They detached me from my ship, uh, and I just played ball for you know three four months, and then I'd go on deployment, and then I'd come back and yep. play ball for three four where, months. Where, where'd you get stationed when you were around here, San I Diego? Was on a, I was on a ship out of San Diego. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And so we played there, and we played in like a little semi pro league, and um, we played a bunch of colleges, and we'd go play some scout teams for minor league programs and stuff like that. So, so at this point, are you just playing ball, or are you still like doing um, any actual work in the Navy? Um, no. Uh, when I got, it's called TAD, temporary assigned duty. I got <laughs> detached from my ship and temporarily assigned to the all Navy baseball team. So, right, I so would, just so we're clear, in, in government and military, <laughs> there is a full time job for baseball player for the Navy, and you got paid for this. Mm-hmm. I and, got my full salary, everything. Wow, that's amazing. So I had a dream. So Look, I you know, love that you when I go that. speak. And I, I go do keynotes and stuff like that. I talk about, you know, when I was 12 years old, I had a dream. That was when the seed of a dream was planted. And I talk about being on the mound. And that was baseball, when my dream yeah. of being a baseball player started. Yeah, yeah. And then at 14 years old, I had an incident where I made, uh, I didn't make a play. And we lost the game because of it. And But that fueled me to pursue and be an overcomer. Hmm. And even though I didn't make it into Major League Baseball, I still played in, two, in a professional stadium twice in front of 30,000 fans, and I got paid. It was just by the Navy. <laughs> so you were a professional ball player then. <laughs> I was then. a professional ball player that is for phenomenal. a few months out of the year. I, I want to go back a second, too. Yeah. You, you you started talking about, you said growing up, when especially you got to college, mm-hmm. there was a lot of, um, was it drugs? Was it alcohol? It was alcohol. Just all alcohol yeah. abuse. Um, I know a faith is a huge part of your life today. Mm-hmm. What was it like growing up? Did you grow up like in the church? Did you no. grow up, what were your parents like? I, Did you grow up with mom and dad or? So yeah, my mom and dad, my dad was a landscape contractor. Okay. Uh, prior to that, he uh, he was a three-time All-American wrestler. Really? Uh, he was, yeah. He, Is that NCAA? Um, yeah, NCAA. Nice. He, they were, Cal State Bakersfield was a division two at the time. And uh, he ended up being a, a big-time wrestler out of that program. Yeah. His coach that he had in high school, junior college, and then at Cal State Bakersfield ended up going on to uh, Oklahoma State University. Yep. Uh, his name was Joe C. He was an Olympic coach. And so that, I was around that. So that's where that hard, that, you know, that work ethic came from. And then from there, he, he, <laughs> he transferred into entrepreneurship and became his own landscape contractor. And so I worked for him forever. 
And, so uh, doing manual labor. Doing then, manual labor. And it wasn't mowing lawns and stuff like that. We were doing installs. Mm-hmm. He had contracts with new builders and stuff. So we were going in from just dirt, nothing, and plumbing them, putting in the yards, okay. sod, you know, all yeah, that so kind of stuff. Yeah, so your sprinklers, your grass, yeah, your trees. Doing all that. Would you bring in like palm trees and that sort of thing oh, yeah. too? He Whatever would, they he want. He had major nurseries all through Southern California that he would go to and get. Okay. You know, we were doing high-end homes, custom homes to track homes. Yeah. And I, that's... Where I learned to work. How, how old were you when you started working for him? I was 13. 13. It's a good age school. for that. Yeah. Did, were, were, you close, were you closer to your dad or your mom? Uh, my mom. Yeah. My dad, We I was close to both of them, but they, it was just a different relationship. Sure. My dad was, you know, he'd bust my ass. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse the language, but he would, he would bust my butt to be a hardworking man. Yeah. Um, and so he modeled that for me and then gave me opportunities to be that guy. My mom was where I had more of the softer, uh, you know, nurturing relationship. It was more emotional. And because Dad was always working, when I wasn't at working with him, uh, Mom was the one taking us to school. She was a stay-at-home mom. Um, and that's how that's cool. You know, my wife and I made that decision when we got married, that she would be a stay-at-home mom, and I'd go out and do the work because we wanted one of us raising the kids because we both had moms that stayed home yes. and we saw the value with that. Yeah. So you had asked a question to launch this conversation. I'll, I'll say, I don't I, know what it was. I'll say the exact same thing for me too. So my mom stayed at home. She worked part-time as a special ed teacher's aide mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid, like when I was a high, uh, junior high and elementary mm-hmm. school. But she worked 20 hours a week, 18 hours a week at the most. And But she did that so she could be home when we got home from school and yeah. be there in the morning. And I've always I've always appreciated that. You know, my dad worked, but... Um, and There's I'm, a lot of bad things that can happen when mom's not home. Well, it's just interesting, <laughs> right? And it's like, hey, can dad do that? Yeah, for sure. You know, like the, there, there's this... Interesting, like, world transition where it's like, oh, there's equality, which we know, but we could talk about that later on. But I, I think, you know, when we look at, like, the equality of, like, a, say, a husband and wife or, mm-hmm. or, um, or whatever the relationship is, you look at the, the equality for me is my revelation on it is it was, it was an equality of value, yeah. an equality of worth. It's not an equality of job duty. I don't think any... Uh, whether it's business partnerships or it's marriage or whatever mm-hmm. it is, if we think we have the exact same job or we can do the same job, right? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like a, go to any major company and that's that's worth anything and they're going to put people through Myers-Briggs or DISC mm-hmm. or StrengthsFinders and say, hey, you have a strength here, so let's do that. You have a strength over there, so let's have you in that position. So yeah, it's not that- you're gifting. Yeah, so it's not that mom has to stay home and, and cook and clean or whatever. It's not, it's, we're not in that world and anymore. And not all women are made that way. No, you know? but to look at, at at one parent versus another and say, hey, you, there's a strength here, there's a strength there. Yeah. Um, I think that, that makes a ton of sense. My, mo- uh, my mom, my, my wife, Lola, is to me way more nurturing than I am. You know, she's going to say, oh, my gosh, you, you feel hurt. Come here. Like, cry it out. It's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she needed that. And, and, and sometimes my son needs that, too. But for me, I'm going to say, you know, come on, suck it up. Get up. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to show that I love him <laughs> through, hey, get up and and, yeah, yeah. and and do that. So There's that toughness. Well, that, that, that was the relationship with my dad. There was a toughness factor that he was trying to instill in me. And so through that parenting style and being the oldest, I'm his first, right? Mm-hmm. And him coming and growing up where, he, I mean, my dad was 20 when they had me and my mom was 18 and my mom didn't graduate high school that's really young and then he goes on to have a college career in wrestling and I'm going along with him so what he knew and what was intuitive to him was be tough hard work the highest virtue yeah 
Um, and then he ended up not finishing college. He had one or two classes left and he didn't graduate because he went into launching his own business and ran that for years. So as I was navigating through my journey and I got into high school, started dating, you know, this young lady going into my junior year, it was all about work ethic. And then by the time I got into college, I just didn't like school. That wasn't the um, academia was not something we looked at. Education was important, yeah. but it we didn't come from that background. It was go out and work hard and you'll be right. fine. So you're totally willing to work hard. You're totally willing to bust your tail, but but getting the education, it was like, well, what does that do? Either way, I got to do the work. And that also developed a scarcity mindset where okay. when the way I look at money um, was I, I had to overcome the scarcity mindset for years. And I'm 45 now, and I'm just getting to a point that I'm starting to think about money and abundance and prosperity from a healthy perspective. Hey, good for you. You know, and yeah. uh, it's taken a long time. It's taken a long time. Yeah. So so what, what I'm curious about then is, so oftentimes I see in, in a generation um, the work ethic thing gets skipped, right? So you have like a, a dad who worked really, really hard, busted his tail, was always doing, you know, mm-hmm. hard work. And then the kid grows up and it's like, man, that didn't look like a lot of fun. <laughs> or I had to work with him in the business all the time. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to grow up and be, for lack of a better term, lazy and, and have a lifestyle, mm-hmm. right, that I want. But then that person's kid grows up and goes, man, my dad was always just kind of <laughs> hanging around. I'm going to go working and earn what I want. Yeah. How, what do you think was a factor that when you saw your dad – working hard, clearly uh, athletic, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. fit, you're clearly fit as well. That's important to Mm -hmm. you. I think there's a lot of parents out there that say you you do find, whether it's financial abundance or faith or physical fitness, you know, something that's important to you. When we raise our kids, we go, man, I want them to get the same value, but I don't just want them to do it because I said to. I want them to also learn to love you know, like yeah. for me, I love yeah, yeah. I love climbing and mountaineering, right? There, yeah. you know, there's a Mount Whitney right on my arm, <laughs> and and I want my kid to have a love for the outdoors and how important that is, right? Yeah. But what, what what do you think the factor was for you that allowed what was important to your dad to also become important to you and you not reject it early on? That's a great question. But so my story involves rejection. I oh, good. <laughs> I, I, I not rejection from my dad. Me rejecting. That story oh, okay, great. is like, so hard work was just something we did. It was always pounded into us, but that butting of heads caused me to rebel and reject. So how old are you when that's starting to happen? Because I'll bet probably you Probably around on. 16 years old. Okay. I was going to say probably early on you were like, yeah, I'm going with dad in the truck. We're going to yeah, work. I'm 12. And that was cool, but then I would, I'd tell him off. I'd, I'd complain. I'd, you know, bark back at him. I was disrespectful yeah. at some level. Um and then, so what that led to is when I hit that road at 20, I wasn't thriving in anything. Mm-hmm. I was just surviving, and now I'm drinking, now I'm partying, and sure. I'm a lost soul. I don't know what the hell I'm doing with life. I don't, I don't know where I'm going. The only thing I know is I need a course correction. And so, you know, I do what any rational human being would. I joined the military. <laughs> you know, that's the only thing I knew to do because that was an influence in my life. So I joined the military. So then, then are you I butting heads from like like 15, 16 yeah. up until you joined the military? Oh, yeah. Okay, so at 17, you were like... But here's what happens. I'm not into this. I'm 20 years old. Yeah. And I'm uh, at this time, I'm 23 years old. So let's fast forward. Mm-hmm. I'm on a deployment. I'm in the Middle East. Okay. And my dad leaves. Leaves. Home. The family? Mm-hmm. Leaves your mom. Mm-hmm. 
And do you have brothers and sisters? Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. I'm the oldest of four. I got a younger brother and two younger sisters. Wow. So I call. So home. you're 23. How old is the youngest sibling? Uh, my brother would be 41 now, so he's three years younger, all the way down to my youngest sister's. I think seven years younger than I am. Okay. Six or seven so you're 23. Years. The youngest sibling then is about 16. So it's still uh, kid. Does that sound right? Pretty close. Yeah. About there. Okay, so there's yeah. still so there's still siblings at home. Oh yeah, all okay. three of them are at home. Oh gotcha, you're the me. only one gone. Yeah. How uh, how how did that affect uh, you? It was a mess. I was a mess. Mm. We didn't talk for a year. Yeah. I call home. All of a sudden, dad's gone. Um, mom's crying every time I call. My brother is, you know, pushing it down and doing his thing. My baby sister, uh, she holds tight to my mom, but my, my, the third sibling, she's a mess. I think it really affected her in sure. her season of life where she was at her age, right. really affected her, it affected all of us. Yeah. And I was put in the middle because I was at a place where my, once I reconnected with my dad, it was like, well, you need to tell your mom this. And, and it was the point in the fingers. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and my dad and I, the budding of heads now went to another level because I was older. And I was a little more bold in what I would say to him. Yeah. And I was now married. Yeah. And I also had my own child. So to me, in my mind, I was breaking the legacy of what I saw in my family dynamic of these types of behaviors running rampant through, uh, you know, divorce and things like that. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And maybe that's another one of those secrets that, that, that I'm not going to be like that. I don't want to be divorced. I don't want to have that brokenness in my in my life. And there, there's still at this time, because I think you asked me a question earlier about like my yeah. faith. Yeah. I, I oh, that's right. We I never got to that up. yet. Yeah, I didn't so grow what was up. family like faith-wise? Yeah, I didn't grow up going to church. Okay. Um, I lived in the neighborhood uh, growing up where the, my best friend, Kevin, down the street, and then uh, family across the street, my buddy Scott, they went to the same church, mm-hmm. but they lived out their faith very differently. Okay. And one of them was very imposing, and I was very turned off by it. And one of them right. was very inviting and loving. And I didn't even know what it was. It was just my buddy Kevin would say, hey, man, you want to go to church? Yeah. No, bro, I ain't going to church. Okay, cool. See you in an hour. Right. We come back and we play. And then next time he'd say, hey, you want to go to church? And then I'd go. And sometimes it was funky and I didn't understand it. And sometimes like, oh, that was cool. And then, but my experience with the other people across the street was always like. But he'd always invite you like, it was like, hey, you want to go see a movie? Yeah. It was real simple. Love that. And um, so I had these two very. Uh, polar opposite experience with people of faith. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know who Jesus was. I'd be like, Mom, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Bible. And sometimes I'd pick it up and try to read it. And I was like, this is weird. It was like King, King James Version. Oh, yeah. Of the I remember that as a yeah, kid. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this is not, uh, this is weird, man. And so my mom would try to take us to church twice a year, Easter and Christmas. Uh, my dad never went. So that wasn't a part of, and my dad and I, <laughs> it's, I laugh at it now. Um, he and I went some rounds because he, he would say, you grew up in a Christian home. Your mom, you know, introduced you to God. And I'm like, <laughs> did I? Dude, no, not even close. Did I? And so, so we, what was your parents' beliefs? And was it the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I'm a Christian and, and whatever, but you go to church twice a year? We believed in God. Okay. We believed in, more, in, in probably what we would call Christian values. Sure. We didn't ever talk that way. And we believed in God and we were good people. Therefore, gotcha. we were okay. Okay. Right. So yeah. that that was the that was just our that's the way we operated from. But now, fast forwarding, looking uh, back, this is just a, yeah, a, a random uh, aside, I guess, on on the on the faith side of things. 
looking back now with because it's such a prominent part of your life, mm-hmm. right, and your career and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had to answer the question, and this is not a fair question because I don't think any of us can know in full anyway. Mm-hmm. But if you were to look back, would you say, "Hey, yeah, I was saved, or we were all saved"? Like, yes, I had the relation. You know, maybe it wasn't <laughs> what I could be today, or it wasn't in fullness. But would you say, "Yeah, I was there," or would you say, "Honestly, no, I wasn't really in a relationship with God at all"? And did you have a moment later on in life when you, mm-hmm. like, was it a recommitment moment or was it an actual? Literal come to Jesus. It's a good moment. question to segue into the story, the defining moment. Oh dear, are, are you ready? I, I think so. Okay, so I'm going to answer the question, but I think the story will get us to where you're. I love stories. You're, you're, you're wanting to go. This so, whole pod is about stories. Yeah. So, so let's here's dive in. here's here's how it went down. Uh, Twenty years old, dropped out of school, not playing baseball, mm-hmm. lost, drinking every night, broke up with my high school sweetheart. Mm. Go down the Navy recruiter's office, already told a little bit of this, join the Navy. I'm on a bus, getting off of a bus in Great Lakes, Illinois, on December 7th, 1993, going into boot camp. Right. I made a decision that I needed to escape, and I was going to go and be successful when it came to going into the military. And I was. I got two letters of commendation. I did great in boot camp, came out of boot camp, uh, ended up going to a great A school, ended up going to a ship in San Diego. And during that process, the life I was trying to flee had caught back up with me. I found myself becoming the stereotypical sailor. I drank like a sailor and I swore like a sailor. And I partied hard, especially when I went detached to the baseball team. Because, dude, all I'm doing is playing ball Tuesday, Thursdays, and on the weekends. And you're playing in front of big crowds. You're kind of becoming that celebrity in a way. In in a weird way. And then because of the relationship that our um, coach had, and he was a helicopter pilot uh, uh, from North Island there in Coronado, um, he's getting us on the news, and he's getting us media attention. And so that's what we're doing. We're out there representing the Navy, getting paid to do this. And so I started drinking and I drank, I got to the point where I was drinking almost every day mm-hmm. and then ended up getting married to the, you know, my high school sweetheart a year before I get out of the Navy. Um, but I'm not a kind guy and the alcohol, you know, led to me being abusive verbally to her mm. and she hung in there with me. And then we have a child and comes four years later and I get out of the Navy and we move back to Bakersfield and now here I am. Uh, I got to be a provider. I got to be a protector. I got to figure out how to make a living, and I'm failing miserably at all of it. So when you when you get out of the Navy, are you did the drinking get worse, better, or stay the yeah, same? Yeah, because it was how I would sedate myself and I would drown myself. So it got worse. My, with all, uh, yeah, it was awful to the point where we have a we have a little child at home, and my wife is like, I'm done. Hmm. You know, I'm up. So here it is. I'm 25 years old. I'm a year out of the Navy, and my wife is standing at the door and says, I'm done with you, Jade. And you have I'm one child at the time? Got one child at the time. And what, about three years old or five now? About there. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I'm a year out, so she would have been two. Two, okay. So, okay, so she's two years old. And, and, and the first couple years of having a first child, it can be so stressful anyway. So you're like, you're figuring out how to raise a kid. You're still pretty fresh married. You're fresh civilian life, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think? Did your wife? She wanted you to change, or she wanted you to go? Well, we've talked a lot about this. Her number one desire was that I would change and become the man 
that uh, I sh- that she saw in me. Did you see a problem, or did you were you in a denial place where you said, "Come on, it's not that bad. What's For let's work while, this out." I was in denial, and it was all about fixing her and changing her <laughs> to meet my expectations of what I wanted her to be. Yeah, if only she when, would change. Yeah, then. but the real problem was me. <laughs> Yeah, it was between my ears. It was how I thought. It was what I believed about myself. Mm-hmm. It was how I engaged. Um, I thought more highly of myself than I really was. I hadn't come to a point yet to where I knew that I was a, a you know, a dirtbag is what I was becoming. Right. You're still the accommodated Navy uh, yeah. veteran, yeah. baseball player, yeah. hardworking. You know, like you yeah, know, my, like, I, I defined my manhood based off of my work ethic and you know, pound on my chest, pride. Mm. I'll outwork anybody. You know, okay. uh, don't disrespect me, kind of guy. Right. And so what happens is. You know, here I am, 25 years old, and I'm trying to make amends. Uh, I'm selling insurance. I'm selling Aflac before the duck. <laughs> you were the original duck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was actually a little teddy bear before the duck, and they rebranded the whole thing and went big. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm trying to live off first-year commissions and salary off insurance, and, man, it sucks, dude. And all that's doing is pushing me more into drinking because that's how I would numb myself. So one night we decided to go out. And I, and, and I make a vow to her. I make a promise. You know what? I'm not going to drink. Let's go to dinner and a movie, and let's just have a good time together. And I'm, I'm working. I'm trying to show her that I'm going to change. Yes. But, you know, the, I didn't have anything outside myself. I was trying to self-will myself into being a better human being. And So you're still you and still thinking the way you think, but mm-hmm. you're going, hey, I want to try to do something different. Yes. And if I do enough of these actions, then, yeah. hey, things will change, yeah. even if I, if I never change. If I do enough good work, right, yeah. it'll, it'll change. Yeah. Right? Familiar with that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we go out, uh, have a good night. We end up at a good dear friend's house. We're over at uh, my buddy Mitch's house, and all our friends are there. Uh, buddy Brian and I are bantering back and forth, having a good time laughing. And then my buddy Doug walks up to me. I remember all the names vividly. I, mean, I can picture it in my mind. Right. Doug walks up, and he's like, hey, dude, you want a beer? And I look at my wife, Stephanie, and she's looking at me, and she's like, you can have one. And I'm like, all right. And I'm like, well, as an alcoholic, dude, I mean, I was an alcoholic. I drank every night. Right. You don't want to just have what, one. What, no, what good is one? The next thing I know, it's about two hours later, I'm out in the backyard with two buddies pouring margarita mix and vodka. Because tequila goes with margarita mix, not vodka. But we're pouring but these two. That's what you got. Right? And, and we're, and, we're and I'm getting hammered. And she comes out and sees what's going on. She's like, you promised. I'm done with you. Ooh. And she leaves. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, because at this point, when you're, in the middle, when you're in the middle of the alcoholic night, yeah. get out of my way. I don't care. Right. It's all about me. Yeah, it's not tell you sober up what happens in the morning. Well, we didn't get there yet. Oh, okay. Because Sorry, I'm jumping the gun. Because she leaves. Mm-hmm. About an hour after that, I'm like, I'm hammered. I'm going home. And I just left. And I start walking home. So I'm walking home, and what happens is I'm walking, and I remember I'm, I'm looking at an Arco gas station. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, dude, I need to just get there and and call her, and she'll come get me, right? How far away are you from the house? Probably about two miles. Okay. Right? And I'm, and I'm walking, and what I can gather is this is about midnight, 
right? So I'm walking from towards what, the, from yeah, what, what I, 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 I've re, I've re, you know, walked back through the story. So from about what midnight, I can gather, I love it. <laughs> I'm going down the street. I remember stumbling out in the street and a car driving by and honks its horn at me. And I'm like, dang, dude, I need to get on. There's a guardrail on the right side of me. So I'm like, I need to get on the other side of that guardrail. So I go and I sit down on the guardrail, I put my feet over and I go to stand up. And unfortunately, there was no ground on the other side of that guardrail. I didn't realize I was walking on a bridge that went over what? the Kern River. What? So I go to stand up and I fall about 14 feet. And it knocks the crap out of me. Like I said, I used to fight when I was young. Into kid. the river or I've down a cliff onto the ground? The embankment that comes into the river, I hit the embankment. And then from what I can gather, I remember hitting the ground and it was, and I've been punched before, but I had never been hit like that. I just let out this big, uh, and I was out. Next thing I know, I wake up about four hours later and half my body, my upper body's on the embankment and my lower body's in the water. Oh my goodness. And I remember thinking, am I dead? And it was all cloudy and foggy. And then the pain started to set in. And I'm like, I, like, I couldn't move. Come to find out, I cracked my tailbone. I didn't have any more. I had sandals on at the time, but they were gone. I had cuts all over my feet. I had road rash all over my legs. I hit rocks. There was rocks all over the embankment. And I remember thinking, I could hear cars above. It wasn't light yet. And I'm like, if I can just get up to the road, I'll be okay. But I couldn't stand up and walk. So I crawled. I don't know how long this freaking took, but it took forever. I get up there. I lay down on the cement. I remember it was cold on my cheek, looking at the stoplight, all blurry, thinking, I think I'm going to make it, but this sucks. I finally get to my feet, and I start walking toward the same gas station. As I'm walking, a cop drives by me, and I'm trying to wave him down, and he just keeps going, and I start just bawling, crying. And I can't hardly walk. My feet are all cut up, everything. Finally, that cop comes back around. He stops. He pulls up next to me, and I remember him walking up. And he shines a flashlight in my face, and I lean back, and he leans back, and he's like, what the hell happened to you? I was like, oh, and I try to play the good drunk, and I tell the story that I didn't get in the car, and I walk home. And Do I you fail. still, are you still drunk? Oh, I'm hammered. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I feel nauseous, I, I have pain, um, my mouth hurts, my everything. Did you tell me you fell off the embankment? Yeah. yeah. He's like, well, I'm taking you to the emergency room. You're beat up. I was like, you can't. I don't have any insurance. Ironically, I'm selling accident insurance for Affleck. <laughs> That's amazing. So he puts me in the car. Right, because Affleck is yeah, emergency only insurance. A, a, accident insurance, all that stuff, right? <laughs> so so he takes me home, drops me off. It's a, The sun's starting to come up. I go in the back door. I'm living in a mobile home, by the way, right next to a railroad track. I, dude, this story just it's, it gets better. It's and iconic, better. dude. Yeah. And we go in. I go in, and my wife just starts throwing stuff at me. Oh. She had been up. Get out. We're you never done. came We're home. Over. I never came home. Uh, I was like, no, you don't understand. I'm crying again. I'm hurt. She's like, what do you mean you're hurt? She turns on the light, and she just starts bawling. And I tell her what happened. So she takes me into our room, kind of strips me down, starts putting peroxide all over everything. I'm screaming into a pillow, and then finally I fall asleep. Mm. I get up, I think it's around 9 or 10 that next morning, which is a Sunday morning. I go to the mirror and I look in the mirror and I'm like, I don't recognize the dude looking back at me. Yeah. I look different. Both of my front teeth are gone. The half of them. 
I knocked both my half of my front teeth. Man, I'm getting and chills. then they were jagged. So the ones that were left, I took an emery board and I tried filing them. I was jacked up, man. Yeah. I had to be on a plane to Korea Monday morning at 7:30 because I was still in naval the naval reserve unit, okay, yeah. and I had to go do my two weeks out of the year. Wow. So what happens is, try not to get too long winded. I get to Korea. I check in. They're like, "What the hell happened to you?" See, I thought you were going to say, I went to church that morning. Nope. I filed my teeth down that morning and went to Korea. So I get there, broken teeth, broken butt. (laughs) Yeah. Um, How bad bad was the the tailbone? Well, I had a bruise all the way up. It covered my entire back. It was black and blue all the way Mm. up to the middle of my back. And I couldn't hardly walk. So on the plane, I get on the plane, I can't sit. from, From Bakersfield to LAX was the worst. It was a nightmare. That's like a 30 minute flight. Then I got to try. I missed my flight walking through LAX because I couldn't walk fast enough. What is it? 12, 14 I, hours yeah, to Korea? Yeah, I miss right? the 15? flight. They get me on another one on Singapore Airlines, which was half full. I lay down on the seat and I think I slept for 14 hours straight. I think wow. they thought I was dead. I show up. And look at how you Korea. look. You probably aren't going to move you. <laughs> <laughs> I show up in Korea. I tell them I have a downhill mountain bike accident. And so I lie. So this whole system of life is just jacked up. It's yeah. just a domino just effect. It's getting of worse lies. and worse. Worse. And they're like, well, you can't drill. You shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't have come. And so they put me in an army bear because it was a joint command. And I laid there for two weeks, dark, cold bed. Like, what the hell am I Again, no do? hospital. So, no medical attention. Just... I just need to heal, right? Yeah. So uh, I have enough time to think. Hmm. And I realize I'm a mess. So I come to a conclusion there are four things I need to do in my life. Number one, I need to learn how to become a better husband. I treated her awful. I said things to her that were awful. And I needed to become a daddy. I didn't know how to be a dad. Every time I hold this little baby, I'm stressed. She cried. I didn't know how to handle her. So that was number one. Number two, I needed to get fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, by this time, I was drinking every night, wasn't in the gym, wasn't exercising. I was just a big slug. Number three, for some reason, I felt like I needed to go back to church. I needed mm-hmm. to go to church. The only reason I went when I was young was because I was chasing her. She grew up in the church. I hated it. Didn't uh, want to go okay. there. But, you know, I thought it was the most boring, irrelevant thing in the world, especially when my mom tried to take me when I was a kid. And would she go when you were married, like early on uh, and with well, the child? Would she say, hey, no, I'm going on my own or I'm going with the baby? Through part of our healing process, um, I realized not only was my verbal abuse hard on her, but me deciding not to go to church and keeping her from her church life and her hmm. life of faith was really hard for her. Yeah, right? Yeah. So um, had all that going on. But at this point, I'm like, I had a great grandma who I called Grandma Fresno because she was from Fresno. I, I thought that was her name for years. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so anyway, um, she was the most godly woman I knew. So when I thought of God, I thought of Grandma. When I thought of grandma, I thought of God. That's all I knew of God, really. Mm-hmm. And so I knew God, church was a good place. That's where God is. I should go there because I'm a mess and I'm a bad dude. Yep, that and makes then sense. the last thing was, I got to figure out how to make money and provide. Okay. So I got these four pillars that I, got in, I know that I need to do. So I get home. I ask her, can you give me another chance? And she says, yes. We start going to church. That's I land a job, you know, some steady money. It's mm-hmm. not a lot, but it's steady. And um, I'm sitting there every week going to church. Uh, I start going to the gym. I enter into this uh, 
12-week body transformation challenge. What I, what I realized was this is too overwhelming for me. Mm-hmm. I need to just take some steps. But what, what's the one thing that could have the greatest global impact on all these areas of my life? It's like, I got to get fit and healthy. So that 12-week challenge held me accountable to that commitment of getting healthy. And then church came into play. And then the job came into play. And then being better to her and my baby came into play. How long would you say point A to point B, how long was that transition of you, you wake up, you start figuring it out, and it probably feels new, I would assume. It probably feels like, okay, this isn't quite me yet. How long do you feel like it took until you went, hey, this is this is our lifestyle now? Uh, about six months through the process. Well, I'll answer it this way. As this started to happen, about six weeks in to the commitment to the gym, the commitment to going to church, every week as a Southern Baptist church, right? So this dude is like, every week he's given an invitation to accept Christ. I have no idea what it means, but this, I'll never forget. We were about three weeks in and the pastor's talking and I'm hitting her, I'm elbowing her. And I'm like, what the hell are you telling this guy before we come in here? Because I feel like out of these 300 people in the room, he's only talking to me. You're telling him something about my life. Yep. And he's, you know, sneaking this in, right? It's a conspiracy and you're after me. I love it. And my stomach is sitting in my throat. And I'm like, I'm supposed to make this commitment to this idea. And I don't know what it means. All I know is it's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So about six weeks in, I remember getting up on a Sunday morning. And I'm like, I'm going to give my life to Christ. And I have no idea what that means. I just mm. feel like it's. Uh, I know what's coming. That stomach in my throat feeling. The invitation is going to come. And sure enough, we go to church that day. And he gives the invitation. And I grab her hand. And she's like, what? And we go up. And I'll never forget, the pastor says, so uh, you're here to make a decision today? I was like, yeah. He's like, do you know what that means? I'm like, nope. <laughs> and so... I just know my gut's turning. I, yeah, and... I go through the process. He explains the gospel to me. And then, uh, you know, I got into a Bible study. And here's where it went south. Because we're going every week. Wait, I, thought, I thought this is the part where this, it gets good. This is well, where it goes well, bad again what, for a minute. Here's what happens is that I'm starting to read the Bible. I'm starting to pray. And something's changing inside of me. Oh, no. And <laughs> I'm going to the Sunday Bible study, and I'm asking Christians, dude, I'm reading this book, man. And this dude, like, is taking a staff and putting it in water and water splitting. And, like, if I yeah. gather the numbers right, there's, like, millions of people walking through. This guy, Jesus, you know, dies, and he comes back to life. Like, how do you reconcile this logically? Right, with, and with what we know. the standard answer across the board every week is, you just got to have faith, brother. And it, I wanted to vomit. I was like, that's all you have? Now, I, I'm experiencing something that's very different, but the logical, intellectual answers are awful. Yep. And I was like, I can't do it anymore. I'm not going. <laughs> and I went on a five-year journey. Mm-hmm. Of pursuing truth. So I read the Bhagavad Gita. I read the writings of Buddha. I read the Quran. I read all the Bible twice. And I finally got to a place after five years that I believed that Jesus was who he said he was. Yeah. There's a whole lot of mystery about it. There's a lot of stuff I don't understand. But that dude's changing my life. Yeah. And I'm going to commit. And I ended up running into a nun at jury duty. And I'm like, I got to meet her. I sit down. I buy her lunch. Tell her my story. And she shows me the wedding ring on her finger. She says, I wear this wedding ring because I'm 
married to my relationship with Christ. I, I, I went all the way with him when I was 16 years old. Sounds like to me, son, you're ready to go all the way. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, I'm in. Again, chills. I, <laughs> like, th- that's, and, that's uh, awesome. So if, if you haven't figured this out already, especially listeners, there were four pillars that I realized I needed to get right with in my life. Mm-hmm. It was my faith. Mm-hmm. It was my family. It was my fitness. And it was my finances. Right. But what I realized is that my power pillar at that time, it wasn't faith because I didn't know what that was. It was fitness. It was the natural, intuitive place to go because if I'm healthy, I will operate better. I will increase my capacity to do these other things. And so the system now that I use to coach men and lead young people and when I go speak to uh, businesses or corporations about leadership and culture change. These are the four pillars that if you want to change culture, you got to take ownership into who you are and increase your personal capacity. And then there's a natural outflow of a productive human being, no matter what you're doing. You learn how to leverage the power of your relationship with your wife. That fuels you. And now you don't have to worry about having a fight. But now your mind can be focused on what you're doing. If you're fit and you have a natural capacity as a hard drive instead of a flash drive, you're going to be a better producer. Yeah. Right? My kids, I had to model for them. I'll tell you one more quick story. Through this faith journey, um, I stopped drinking. Um, I remember, uh, and then I got, so I, I stopped drinking for one year. I did not take a sip of alcohol and I asked the Lord to give me the strength to get through it. And it was a year and three months and before I had my first drink again. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I did, uh, it was overwhelming, but several months later, um, I'm with a group of people. We're out at this uh, campfire at the dunes in Pismo Beach and everybody's partying, having a beer. I had had one beer earlier in the day. I had already told my kids about my story of alcoholism. I shared my, I took my kids out of school. And are you, are your kids there at the Yeah, they're there. Is your wife Uh, there? My wife's there. Okay. Um, We had come a long way. So now we're fast forwarding to where we're now healthy. And you've been, you've been sober completely for well over a year. Are you going to meetings at all? Or are you just going to church? Church. That's awesome. Yeah. I got involved in a men's group, a men's ministry. That was my AA. Yep. Um, A lot of buddies that I have that are in AA asked me how I did it because I'm like, my men's group was my AA, but it was very focused on Christ, not just an ambiguous view of God. And so that's where I went with it. Um, So long story short, it's in the evening. Everybody around me is drunk. Somebody asked me, hey, man, you want a beer? I'm like, yeah, dude, I haven't had one since the morning, only my second one. And I got to the point where, you know, I had a boundary, two beers in a day and I'm done. Right. And I didn't like, once I got to the buzz, I'm like, I don't like that. I'm yeah. not getting drunk. I remember that. That had been yeah. lifted from me. Yeah. So he brings over the beer and he hands it to me and we're talking. I grab the beer and I'm about ready to open it. And I look over to my right and my daughter's standing there with this overwhelming, disappointed, scared look. And I look at her and I'm like, do you not want me to have this beer? And she goes, no, daddy, I don't want you drunk and like all these other people. I don't, I don't want you. I said, all right. I said, take this back to last chest. Would you get me a water? And she said, yeah. She lit up. She took the beer back, got me a water, brought it back. And in the meantime, the person that got me the beer was like, what are you doing? He's hammered. What are you doing, man? You're the effing man in the house. You can do whatever you want. And I'm like, 
You're right. This I can do whatever I, I want. I used to think that way. Mm. But now I know that little girl, she's going to be 16, 17, 18 years old. And this decision right here, mm. the day that she's going out and I say, baby, would you not drink? She's going to honor it because I honored her first. Wow. Wow. That, Ten years prior, there are no way I would have even thought that. I would have said the same thing he did. Right. So you've, you've gone through a, a ton of, of personal evolution over, over the time of your, your yeah. family and, and all of this. At what point did you, did you know that you were going to get into, um, like, so you work at, at, uh, at a Christian middle school, yeah. right, private I school? I would have never in a million years. So did, did you see yourself, did you get into that because of the education side or, or did you get into that because of the spiritual side? Uh, it was for, for the it was completely the spiritual side, but I spent. <laughs> so what happened was, after I had started growing, I was in the insurance business. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting down. I had moved into property and casualty, moved beyond Aflac. Whew. I was sitting at a desk one day, and we had an attorney come in to train us up on uh, uninsured motorist. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this moment. I'm sitting there. And he starts talking about it. And all of a sudden, it was like Charlie Brown's teacher talking to us. It was just, I didn't even hear it anymore. And I'm in my tie. I push it away. And (laughs) lady across the desk looks at me like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm cool. And I was like, I can't do this. This isn't what I'm called to do. I go home and I was like, I'm called to train athletes and train people on how to be physically fit. This is what's changed my life. Wow. So she's like, you're not quitting your dang job. I was like, I know, but I'm going to transition out of insurance into becoming a personal trainer. And uh, and I did that over the course of uh, about a year. And I became a personal trainer. And then I started my own business, training athletes, yep. and learned marketing and learned, you know, going to every trade show. And I ended up spending the next, uh, from 2000 until 2010 in the world of strength and conditioning. And I was training high-level athletes. And, wow. And I was doing all that. But at that time, I was growing in my faith. And I started leading in the church. We made a big move from Bakersfield to Southern California. I was working in a health club, found a church. So Bakersfield does not count as Southern California? No. Because I don't count no, remember, as Southern California. Remember, it's the close to the armpit, dude. Yeah. It's, it's like, I would call it more Central Valley. Yeah. Right? But you moved from Bakersfield to like L.A. Yeah, or, to Reseda. Reseda, Well. Okay. I was working in Reseda. The karate we kid, living, man. Yeah, but we were living in um, Thousand Oaks, where we currently live. Yep. And I was pursuing a dream. I was going to be a professional strength coach, and I wanted to be the strength coach for the Dodgers. And I had some opportunities, and the time came. But at that, during that whole long process, mm-hmm. I had become an elder in the church. Yep. I was preaching a little bit, and I was leading men in the church. Right. By this time, we had about 250 men that I had worked with and led. Wow. You know, throughout the course of a few years. And um, when the time, the offer came to go with the big boys and start training big. And what, what do you mean I, by start training big? Well, so Phys- I had an oppor- Physical or spiritual? Physical. Yeah. I had an opportunity to work with a professional organization uh, and start becoming a director of education within this organization. Moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And... Um, my wife and I, because now prayer is a part of our life. We prayed through it. We thought through it. And we decided, no, we don't want to uproot our family. We want to maintain the stability of where we're at. And so we stayed home. And I get took, it. And that took me on a journey of uh, working at another facility 
and uh, ended up in education at Oaks Christian School, where I'm currently at, and that right. was eight years ago. Wow. So, and you had moved into, like, basically heading up strength and conditioning at the school, mm-hmm. and... I, well, I was training some of the top college athletes transitioning from college into the NFL. So I was doing NFL combine training. Okay. I was working with high dollar agents. They were dropping 10 grand for six weeks to train their athletes with Mm -hmm. us. And any interesting or notable players that you trained that went on to to create NFL careers? At that time, the guy that I worked for, I was the director of operations of the facility. It was called Elite Athletics. His name was Billy Miller, Mm -hmm. and he was the tight end for the New Orleans Saints. Okay. And um, I was training him and other guys on the Saints, like Reggie Bush and um, some other guys uh, in the league that he brought in. Mm -hmm. And then a guy by the name, probably the the biggest name that we pumped, (laughs) not pumped, he was going to go. He was just a natural athlete. LaShawn McCoy mm-hmm. uh, is a running back. He was with the Eagles. I don't know who he's with now. So years ago, back in, this was like 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. early 2010 that we were doing this. And um, uh, I got a call that there was a sixth grade Bible teacher opening at the big Christian school down the street. And I knew that that was what I was supposed to do. Hmm. And Billy was completely cool with it. He's a Christian guy. I told him before I took the job, if the Lord calls somewhere else in education or whatever, or yep. ministry, that I got to go. And so the call came and I had, you know, this was two years and he's like, dude, I support you. So I stayed on with him for six months to replace myself. Sure. Ended up going to school and now I'm a sixth grade Bible teacher now. Just what you expected. Yeah. Just what I expected. It's all planned this way, right? Yeah. I remember six for five, six years, I had been praying, asking the Lord to give me the opportunity to influence influencers. Mm-hmm. I thought, dude, I'm training pro athletes, man, name dropping. Yeah. This is it. These are the influencers, Prestige. right? I was standing in front of 125 sixth grade kids. These are 10 year olds. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of paralleling the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, with the story of Pinocchio. And I'm about halfway through it, and I'm being dynamic, and they're all tuned in. And the whisper, the voice in my ear said, you know those influencers you've been in, uh, praying for for six years? Come on. They're sitting right in front of you. Hmm. And I remember I almost broke down. I almost lost it. It was a moment. And I was like, I had an identity crisis hmm. because I go from, name dropping, finding my value and my identity and what I did as a strength coach to being a sixth grade Bible teacher. And at first I felt it was insignificant. Who am I now? To this is one of the greatest callings in life. Because now, here it is now eight years later, and I've had three graduating classes of high school that I worked with for over seven years. From the time they were sixth grade to now graduating and got guys in college, now they're coming back and I'm able to mentor and coach some of them. That is so cool. And I've been winning their life for seven years. That is so cool. And that's been like, you're this guy they've been able to make this stuff up. Yeah. So, so the four pillars of faith, fitness, family, finances, that's my life, man. It's organic, it's raw. You know, I'm a Christian man, but I don't. 
It's like, dude, you either want or you don't, but I love you just the same. Right. So <laughs> and before we were rolling, you were saying too, like on, cause you have, you have a really cool podcast, uh, yeah. the men of growth, uh, your podcast is grow or die. Yeah. And, um, I love it. I think it's such a great idea. When you talk about like the four pillars, you were saying this is really just a podcast for, uh, and all your teaching and training really is for men that want to grow or die men that want to grow uh, and become more, yeah. become better, yeah. which means you need to have an element of faith, whatever that looks like in your mm-hmm. life though, right? Yeah. So it's you, not- You need to pursue spirituality. Right, it's and not a Christian might, organization. You, you might have to go through the journey of figuring that out. Right. What does that mean for yeah. you? Now, I have my worldview and I've navigated all the holy books to come to a place where I've landed on Christian faith, mm-hmm. but I want to help you walk through that process. But each man has a path, yeah. uh, and each human for that matter, but yeah. each man has a path they have to walk through. Because, you know, I, re- I relate a lot to what you were doing early on, you know, and, and doing that when, when you went kind of away and said, I got to study this out because um, I grew up really agnostic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just, I don't know, we went, same thing, we went to church a couple times, you know, here and there. Yeah. I think I even went to like a one of those like vacation Bible schools. <laughs> It, you know, for some reason, but I don't remember why. I just remember maybe it was a thing to do that summer. Yeah. And and I, I don't know, like my parents might have a different answer, mm. but but I don't think it would be that different. You know, my mom never had, you know, wasn't a, a, a Christian person. My dad kind of, whenever it was time, was like, oh, we should go to church because that's, if our family's good, that's what we would do. Yeah. And most times our family was stressed, so we didn't you go. cultivate the... The idea of being good people. Yes, that was exactly it. So right. I, I never, and then when I got a little older, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And then I went to AA for years, mm. uh, seven years. I got sober at 17. Mm. And again, the people, they know my story, so I'll hurry through it. But <laughs> <laughs> but you don't know everything. Yeah. Um, Our audience is going to hear it because I'm going to interview you <laughs> later. Yeah, exactly. So you can catch me on the Grow yeah. or Die podcast. Uh, yeah. um, but, you know, like, but as I, as I go through that, the, the, the short story is, I, I started getting like spiritually awakened in a way, but I had the higher power mm, thing, and mm. and I, I you know and then I started getting curious and, and and going after like what's the actual answer if there is an answer, and the same thing every answer I got from uh, somebody with a faith background was you have to have faith. Well, how come this is the way? Well, because the Bible says so. How do you know the Bible's any good? Yeah. Well, because God made it. How do you know God yeah. made it? You're running the Bible, a circular answer that makes no damn sense. And uh, can somebody answer this question been, for me? Yeah, I've always been so logical. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll do a podcast one day where we kind of yeah. we break down that because that's one of my favorite things now to teach, mm-hmm. like in church life, is is just the hey, let's pretend for a minute and hear me right. Let's pretend that we have no faith at all in anything, and let's just talk about this stuff. Let's talk about yeah. this character, Jesus. Let's talk about these accounts of what happened. Let's talk yeah. about these historical letters. And, and it's it's a fun conversation, but that's how God yeah. reached me. That's how I had to go after it, which was I like, it helped me understand. Mm-hmm. And once I began to understand some things and began to go, well, maybe this is, that makes sense. That could have happened. That makes sense. This might've happened. Then like spiritually, my heart starts getting reached. And so I, I relate so much to you. I'm just sitting there biting my tongue. When you're telling that story, I thought, man, Jade, like that's that's mm. exactly so much of my story mm. um, was having to be reached through that. Um, you you still do, of course, a lot of work in, in church leadership. Um, here's, I want, what, here's what's interesting, though. I, in the last, I want to say five years, I've really struggled with the church, and that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> <laughs> it is because mm. guys, guys like you tend to have a really thought-provoking take, or at least uh, uh, 
a, a good take to, I don't know, to, to start a good conversation with. Right. I think today there's a lot of questions to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. So when we think of the church, there's a lot of ways to um, to present that, right? Yeah. Whether you say, you know, hey, the church is the ecclesiast, the called out people. The church is the building, which I don't believe in. The church is, you know, this this organized, you know, which which division is it or, or whatever it is. Um, what you're a part of now, so I've seen the advent of like the mega church mm-hmm. come out, which mm-hmm. is a, is one big thing. Um, the church we're a part of uh, is very much like a, it's an apostolic church where uh, we're into like church planting, okay. right? Yeah. So there'll be several campuses, and when it comes time to grrow, we might diverge and start a new campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very much kind of like a Paul journey yeah, churches. Duplicating church, you know. Yeah, and yeah. you raise up leaders yeah. from within, right? So when when my wife and I were set in to, to lead over the the expression in Orange County where our church is here, mm-hmm. you know, I never went to seminary school. I've done a lot of uh, of Bible training. I've done a lot of, of faith building. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe the equivalent of I don't know a year and a half of, of school, maybe right yeah. through different programs. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you know, I don't have a degree. So if someone says, well, "Where'd you go to seminary?" I don't. I don't. Where I don't, did Jesus go to seminary? That, where that, did Paul go to seminary? Well. <laughs> I can I can take Paul and unpack his life. He was qualified, but yeah. you know, Peter and all the other guys, they were rejected. Their rabbi said, you're not good enough. Go back to work for your dad. Yeah, go back and fish. Well, you know, you're not <laughs> going to go to academia. What are you yeah. talking about? So I guess my, my, my question for you now is from everything you've been through, what is your what's your view on maybe like the state of the church, if I could say so, yeah. versus what you're seeing in uh, in men and women as as growing with the the more relational the more personal experience um i don't first reaction to that and maybe we'll we'll take it to a conversation somewhere here's my challenge with church right now and it boils down to the person of jesus yep i don't believe that he is presented in his all of his rawness as a whole man and as divine when somebody says, as a Christian, you need to be Christ-like, they're telling me, I want you to be nice and kind. Right. But that's not Jesus all the time. That's right. Jesus is a lion and a lamb. <laughs> Jesus was a hard man that had to do some hard things, and he didn't always speak nicely to the boys he was leading. And what happens is we, in church... I couldn't handle the, as a man that is, dude, I'm a man. I'm a provider. I'm a protector. I'm a, I I like to fight. I like to go big. I like to be a a boy, right? Right. And all of a sudden, all these messages that are coming from the pulpit are all about how to be soft and how to be kind and how to be nice and how not to rock the boat. Right. How to love people. How to love people. But it's a one dimensional love. Sure. And I was like, I can't do that. That's not within the nature of who I am. And then the more I read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and just focus on this guy, Jesus, and what he said, what he taught and how he taught it, what was his demeanor? based off of the people that followed him, I see a completely different man that's whole and big and bad and finds this balance based off his context of somebody that loves and loves well and is compassionate. At the same time, he's going to kick you in your freaking mouth if you're one of his guys because (laughs) you got to get off your ass and go get the job done. Yeah. But don't lose sight of me as your master teacher. Wow. And I don't get that from the pulpit. 
Yeah. And when I do go, if I have a good Bible teaching, like unpack the Word of God for me. Mm-hmm. Let me sit under this seat and let the text come alive and let God work in it in my life, as opposed to trying to make a one-point message or a three-point message and in, in and put personal development on top of it, right? I like that. I like personal development. I'm all about personal development. Right. But when it comes to church, I realized all the things, the ecclesia, right? The things you, you're dealing with. At the end of the day, I realized I am the church. Mm-hmm. I'm the expression of the church. I value the bride of that building and what's going on. Mm-hmm. But that's one dimension of what I see throughout the book of Acts and what Jesus called these people to do. Right. Okay. What, what, do you, what do you see as... And I go, uh, this is kind of a generalized We've question. In a crazy direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good though. Well, this is good, and, and I realize we are we are coming to the twilight of the interview. Unfortunately, yeah, I know we're, cool. we're coming up on time. Yeah. Um, so maybe we can we can get together after and, and talk sure, more sure. about it. Um, last question on that subject, and we'll move on a little bit. What do you see as so? If you you're right, person of faith, you're yeah. a Christian man. Um, but I think this can go to, again, whatever somebody's faith is, if you really believe it, right? So mm-hmm. for you, and you can only bring you know, your opinion, your experience, um, what do you see the role of you as a Christian mm-hmm. living in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to have your role in the church. And you talk mm-hmm. about what kind of message and, and how do you love people and all, lion and lamb. How do you see your role in the world? How do you see your role with with the non-believers, yep. with someone who believes differently than you? When you have a, a, a Muslim brother or sister, you have a, uh, an atheist, an agnostic, yeah. a, a whatever it is. Because yeah. uh, all of us, and that's the thing in the world now, right? Yeah. I realize that sometimes it's hard even to have this conversation. Because I realize there's going to be somebody listening who you know is going to tweet me probably, at Matt Browning, by the way, if you want to tweet me, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, tell me how terrible this is or how great it is. Uh, send, send messages. Yeah. Send it to me too, jademolina.com. There you go. I'll, so I'll, at, I'll engage with you too. Yeah, jademolina.com. Yeah. Uh, you can find him on social media at jademolina. But even having this conversation, mm-hmm. it's like n- when you say, hey, this is my faith or this is what I believe mm-hmm. and this is how I see the world. Yeah. Everywhere else in life, it seems like it's okay to say that. Hey, this is my take on physical <laughs> fitness. But when it comes to politics yeah. and religion, somehow what happens is people listening to that conversation, social media, podcast, whatever it is, they take, here's my opinion as, here's my opinion and you should do it too. And there's this response of, you idiot, are you kidding me? How could you do that to me? And people get really weird. So I, for me, I wanna bring back a conversation where, hey, I don't, like right now, the world is what it is and Opinions vary from place to place and person to person. And I don't believe anytime soon, um, I don't know everything, but I don't believe anytime soon every human on earth is going to agree to the same belief systems, mm-hmm. whether it be political, it'll religious, never or anything else, right? The whole peace in the Middle East, it'll never happen. I've been there. You're, you're not <laughs> going to have all these people seeing it all the same way. Could you find a way to create peace? There might be a way to create peace in different areas, regions, whatever, but it's not going to be from every human believing the same thing or feeling the same way, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be, okay, you're you, I'm me. How do we do this? Yeah. Right. So all that to say, sure. you, I think it is okay to come out, like I've come out publicly and said, hey, this is just what I believe. This is who I am, right? So I'll be on yeah. stage and say, yeah, and I'm, I've heard I'm you a do Christian, it. right? Great job. 
And but but without coming off and, and proselytizing, without coming off and saying, hey, this is what I believe and you should believe it too. I think it's we need to have more of that that we can say this is what I believe. So I, I'm really happy to say I'm a pro wrestling fan. That's right. <laughs> I, I mean, this this is if you see this on the video, it's Austin 316, right? That's from Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> one of his most famous promos of all time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So like, but I'm going, hey, you don't have to like. You can think it's a it, it's the silliest thing on earth. That's men's yeah. soap opera. I'm like, it's not. Yeah. It's amazing. But that's my opinion, and, and I, I love to talk about it, right? And I, I want to hear why you think it's dumb, sure. and I think it's great, and let's have a conversation. Let's not beat each other up for it. Yeah. So all that to say, what do you see your role as as a Christian man when interacting with the world? What's your job, and how do you do it? Okay, so there's... Man, that was here, a long question. I apologize. Uh, no, it's not cool. I get it. Um, <laughs> what, okay, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to navigate this uh question based off of how I process it through my faith-based worldview. Sure. Okay? So it goes like this. That's fair. One time Jesus was asked, uh, and for those of you listening, if you're not a Christian man, just be intrigued by this. You know, if those of you that are a Christian, I might offend you more. <laughs> I love that. And that's what we want this to be. Right. This, yeah. should, this should be a conversation to yeah. to ask and enjoy and, yeah. and break down, not something yeah. to be right or wrong. Yeah. So. so Jesus one time, he's asked by a group of religious leaders, what is the greatest of all the commandments? Yes. Knowing that if he answers that one is better than the other, based off their law and their traditions, that they're going to stone him to death. Right. They're going to kill him right there on the spot. Yeah, this because is a group all, of... all God's laws are equal in their value, but they're trying to ask him, which, what are you teaching, right? Jesus, yeah. Rabbi. Yeah, because this is like a group of lawyers, essentially, Yeah. right, that are trying to string him up. And if he answers wrong, yeah. they got yeah, him. they got him. And right? they're judging Because he's disturbing, he's disturbing their, their, their leadership and their, time. their religious leadership. Yep. So he says, the greatest commandment, commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor. We usually stop there. But what he says next is, as yourself. That's right. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. But it's really not these two. There's this underlying thing that's not talked about in much in church because we're supposed to yield and, you know, the human existence is awful and we're flesh and we're, you know, brokenness. Mm. But there's something that he says, love God, love people as yourself. Mm -hmm. You got to know what that means. It's good. So what I figured out is that I have been created as a human being in the image of God mm -hmm. to be, I have the human capacity to be a brilliant, mindful, intentional thinker, sure, dreamer, collaborator, I'm supposed to work with other human beings, and innovator and creator myself. Mm. So the more I step into being a thinker, dreamer, collaborator and innovator, I can think through and not take things personally. And if I am a pursuer of absolute truth, knowing that there is a category of relative truth, relativism that's mm -hmm. related to me, like my preference on ice cream, but there are these laws, both morally and physically in this world that apply to all human beings. Mm -hmm. I can, I feel comfortable in that place. And if God is true, if he's true, and I've pursued it and I've landed in a place, then I should have no fear of engaging in a good, healthy dialogue with another human being about the differences in our beliefs. Absolutely. And that challenging each other is a healthy thing. Absolutely. If I'm a truth seeker, right? 
Right. And so, if I really believe this truth that I believe, why wouldn't I like have gr- good, healthy, thought-provoking yeah. conversation yeah. about it? Why would I need to get all offended yeah, like, and up uh, in so, arms? Uh, and I'll tell you this. When somebody believes something different. So don't so my Muslim brothers, if there's anybody that's a Muslim brother out there, um, that don't don't be offended by this. Let's have a conversation about it. I've had to have it and, and I've had to reconcile this in my mind. You know, Jesus in the Bible, it says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father is through him. There's this story in the book of Genesis where this guy by the name of Abraham is going to sacrifice his son Isaac, mm-hmm. and he's going to kill him. And then this angel comes and says, no, your obedience has you know, sure. brought you this far, so I'm going to now give you a sacrificial uh, lamb to sacrifice and replace in, in replace of Isaac. Well, Abraham had another son by the name of Ishmael, yeah. which is believed that the the uh, Arabic nations, uh, Arab nations come out of Descent Ishmael, Ishmael. Sure. and the Semitic nations, uh, the Jews, come out of Isaac. Well, in the Quran, in Surah 37, there is a, this, this is talking about this story, but the, sacri- the son to be sacrificed by Abraham is not Isaac anymore. It is Ishmael. So you have two books, right? Mm-hmm that have a story about this patriarch called Abraham, but the stories are different in right. which son is being sacrificed. Therefore, if God's promise is to Abraham through the son and his two different sons, now you have two nations in the world that have that believe a belief they have the promise. conviction that they have the promise. Right. That's and interesting. so because of that, so now you have to wrestle with the reality that they can't both be true. Right. Either one is true and the other is not, or neither one of them are true. But they can't both be true. So when I read the Quran after reading the Bible, I was like, that's a problem. Right. And we need to we need to I need to reconcile that it, in my reconcile. mind. So yeah. I'm not sitting here on your podcast <coughs> trying to tell everybody they're wrong. But what I am saying is that something's wrong. There isn't you can't just say they're all true and leading to the same place. Which, however, there are truths for life in both of those books. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to salvation and it comes to how do we get to heaven and all that, there's a great departure. Mm-hmm. But how to live now, there are these truths in them. So we've got to put these truths, air quotes again, into these categories and be open-minded enough to listen to each other, wrestle with these. Can I be wrong? Am I right here? Maybe not. Okay, well, am, I, am I willing to change my mind even though this tradition is really convicted? It's part of my family heritage. Am I what if my family heritage had been wrong? Yeah. Right. What if? Right? I can be genuinely sincere with something and be genuinely wrong at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I had to go on that journey. And so when I sit down with a friend of another faith, like I have a buddy, I do a book club with a buddy. He's a Jewish atheist. That's outstanding. I love him. Jewish culture, atheist yeah. faith. And I'll t- yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell him, I'm like, dude, you're a closet Christian, man. And he's like, no, I'm not. You're right? And then he challenges my faith and he really makes me think through why I believe what I believe. Yeah. Love that dude. I've got Muslims I sit down with and we talk about this little scenario all the time. And uh, sometimes it goes very well. Sometimes we got to, you know, we rub up against each other and we yeah. walk away and come back. And but that right there is is what's going to to propagate love and change and the evolution on the planet is mm-hmm. is people's willingness 
to have that conversation. Like at this point, if you're still listening to this podcast, man, we've gone over an hour. <laughs> Seriously, right? Like if you listen to the end, hey, this is the kind of thing where eh, a lot of people have shut it off maybe. Yeah. But if you're still listening, that means this conversation probably intrigues you. And I didn't think we were going to go in that direction, but with our backgrounds, how do you not? Yeah. Um, but like that's what like what I wish for you, you you know, who's listening, who's watching this, is is to to get that curiosity that mm. burns inside to say, I, I want to be better. I want to know. I, I, I want to help someone else to figure that out. And if like, if my convictions are so strong that I know that I know that I know, then I want to get it out there and share with people. It's attractive to people. Isn't it? And I don't, if you're in, like, I Even have when a lot. they don't agree with you. How much respect do you have for like um, uh, like a Richard Dawkins or something? You know, the, these, yeah. these atheists will go out and debate like nobody's business and write books. I don't have to believe in the same thing they believe, but there's something about like you're really convinced and you're really convicted on this yeah. and you want to share it with people. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. And it's the same as anyone else in any other background. All right, let, let's. Well, let, me, let me wrap up. I'm, All right. I'll close on this one thing. So, so the fact that I, I work with a lot of young people, trying to teach that to a young person. So we were just recently. That's good. We were recently. Uh, a story that captures the heart of this. Yeah, we were in Washington D.C. We were standing outside the White House just three weeks ago, and it was like a school field trip. Yeah, we we take uh, all of our eighth graders and we do this whole East Coast ten day or eight day trip or whatever, and it's they capture their history class and you know bring Christian worldview into it and all that stuff. We're standing outside the White House, and one of our kids, very intelligent, this, this is a fourteen year old kid. Mm-hmm. Walks up to a guy who has a bicycle out there, and he's protesting, and he's got the science of something about Trump, and he's sure. out there being a little bit hateful and angry, and he's, he's arguing from a place of emotion and hate. Shocking, yeah. So our middle schooler walks up to him and starts asking him questions, very articulate, very in control of his emotions, and he's getting this guy all fired up, but the guy's just running himself in a circle, and he's contradicting himself. All the other kids start walking up. Now a crowd's getting around him. I walk up next to our student, and I'm listening, and I'm letting him go. And then a point came where I kind of intervened, and I said, you know, sir, you just contradicted yourself. So you should probably have your argument in place before you come out here. And the fact you're getting uncomfortable is be, you put yourself out here. If you're going to put yourself out here, then be willing to take the heat. Right, with a sign. Yeah, in and, front of- and so I wanted to empower our student, but also do this well. Where it went south was some of our students who aren't at, they're still 14. They yeah, yeah, and they start clapping and doing their no, no, no. immature thing. Right, that's not what we're and doing that, either. Yeah, and I was like, oh, we, we have a teachable opportunity here. Mm. So that guy takes off. Five minutes later, I end up engaged with a Muslim who's out there protesting. And we start getting into this conversation. And I know I'm frustrating him. But I can maintained a very loving, respectful dialogue with him, and we were disagreeing in him. And I know, I know the Quran fairly well, mm-hmm. so we were going back and forth, and he's quoting scripture, and I'm quoting Quran, and and at the end of the day, we had to go. And I was like, you know what, man, I don't think we resolved anything, but I really appreciate your dialogue. I shook hands with him and I hugged him. That's so awesome. And then we walked away. Yeah. And then I had took a time with about seventy five kids that were there, out of our hundred and whatever. And talked about, hey, dude, here's where we went wrong, fellas and ladies. The clapping and cheering and all that, that, that was inappropriate. But how we walked away from the Muslim guy was how we should do it. Because now we're witnessing a controlled behavior, a respectful behavior. Like, what, th- that's a problem I want to model for you. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. Sure. But I'm trying to be intentional with it. Right. And that's just a living example of how I navigate my faith. 
we sit down and talk at some point, it's going to come out of me. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to be offensive. But for some people, I just walk in the room and say, I'm a Christian. They're offended. Like, right. Which has nothing to do with you. <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with me. Yeah. That's their issue. Yeah. And, and, and let's like, let, let's actually work through our offense. That's, that's one of the biggest spiritual lessons I think I, I've really pulled out for my own life in the last few years. Mm-hmm. One of the, the biggest ones was wrestling with offense mm-hmm. and, and just realizing that there's no place for offense in my life. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I've learned and I've been learning and still I'm learning to forgive very quickly. Um, and to repent or basically, you know, change, turn away from a bad behavior or something I've said wrong, I'll go right away to someone and call them back up and say, hey, I'm so sorry I did yeah. this thing and that's not uh, correct and, and I apologize and I'm going to try really hard to change that. And then I drop it because if someone holds offense, they still might, Yeah. right? Someone's going to yeah. look at me and be like, oh, I can't believe that he did that. Okay, I get it. But that's like that. that is for you to, to work out. But I'm going to do my thing very quickly. I'm going to forgive quickly and I'm going to apologize quickly. Um, yeah. I want to ask you one, one, uh, one couple of last things because <laughs> we, we do need to. Four hours. I know, I know. And, and this is not one of those. Uh, I love Joe Rogan, but not his podcast. <laughs> not his podcast. So um, <laughs> what would you say is is the the number one, if there was one, key to leadership and influence? So I've, I've come to own the idea that the greatest asset in a human being's life is themselves. Mm. You have to invest in your personal growth. And I would say it's across four pillars. In, in Shockingly, across four pillars. Across four pillars in your faith, your fitness, your family, and your finances. If that's too overwhelming for you right now to even think about, for a person, out of those four pillars, what's the one pillar that has the potential to make the greatest impact on your own life and then invest in it? Because when you become a person of growth in those areas, you become more valuable to humanity and to everything you do. So so what does growth look like? So let, let's pick one and let's pick not faith because we've been talking about that so much. Okay. Um, so pick, I don't know, say finance. I'm like, man, everything yeah. else would be easier if I wasn't dead broke right now. Mm-hmm. What does growth look like in finance besides making more money? Yeah. Like what does it actually well, Growth is going to be well, are you healthy physically? Right? Do you even have the capacity to think through or are you Okay, so a, now we're not going to talk about finance. Of, no, but no, because it affects finance. No, understand. So, so in that case, you say my finance is broke. So, but the first question you're always going to ask is go back to fitness mm-hmm. because say, thought, how am I healthy? So let's talk well, about I'm growth and fitness. Bring it back to fitness, right? Because if I get up in the morning investing in my overall health, yeah. Now what happens is I have the mental capacity to now engage in education and in the things necessary to become more become more financially fit. Right, so, so so fitness is my power pillar. But so, I'll set so, that off to the side. Well, would you say that fitness is the power pillar? Like for, I'd say for most people, unless okay. they're already fit. If people are already well, fit. Well, it's the foundational one that must be present. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, everything else will struggle with some. Yeah. Uh, I, it, there's a lot of people that struggle with me. Like, you know, we'll speak on stages. And, you know, I remember one time on, on our buddy Craig, right? Yeah. And over and over, the speakers that came up before me talked about, you know, your most valuable commodity is time. Mm. Right? I disagreed. Respectfully, love it. I'm just going to give a different perspective that I believe your most valuable commodity is health. Because when your health goes, and I've said at the bedside of dying people many times, and when their health, they don't have any more time. Right. And with health, you can actually, with health, you can have more time resource. You have more time. You can resource because you're in a place 
that you're you're not dying. And a better quality of time okay. too. So to come back to your question, if I were to look at how am I what does growth look like in your finances? Mm-hmm. Well the first question I is what do you how do you think about finances? Okay. Are you a place that operates from a place of are you are you a person that operates from a place of scarcity? Mm-hmm. Or are you a person that understands and has embraced abundance and what that looks like. Do you pay yourself first mm-hmm. or does that scare you? You got to pay the church first because of your theology mm-hmm. and you need to work through that. So educating yourself and going through a learning process and then living out what you're learning is a form of growth, but it's being intentional with it. So that looks different for everybody okay. based off where they're at with their finance, their financial um, IQ. Love that. So, so what I'm what I'm getting from that is growth in a in a pillar is really about like focus and clarity and like setting your mind, setting your emotions on it, and setting intentions of okay, this is something I wanna I wanna learn more about. I want to experience more. I want to change. Look at my beliefs and maybe change those beliefs. Look at my habits, mm-hmm. change my habits. It's not about making more money or fitness. In that case, wouldn't be about getting bigger muscles or uh, losing weight or whatever it is. About increasing capacity. Incre- I love that. Increasing capacity. In all areas of life. So uh, to, to give like, okay, what does this look like? So when I sit down and I'm with clients and mm-hmm. I'm working with a man, the first thing we do is we do an assessment on these four pillars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Give your, on a scale of one to 10, give yourself a score. So mm-hmm. it's subjective. Sure. Um, but the truth is what sets you free. So you got to be honest. Don't, yeah. don't BS yourself. So give yourself a score and then you have to write out a small paragraph of why you believe you gave yourself that score. Awesome. So now what happens is you tie a uh, objective number to something that you're living. Mm-hmm. Now you have a why tied to a what Right. for all four pillars. Then from there, let's identify your power pillar, mm-hmm. even though... I would suggest that fitness is a major power pillar. It might not be. Somebody might be fit and be like on a, a nine in their fitness, struggling financially or struggling with their wife. Um, and so what we have to do is say, well, maybe maybe finances is, needs to become your power pillar for the next six, eight, 12 weeks. Okay. So now what we do is we say, here's the... So the power pillar is not necessarily the foundation, but it's the one that you must focus on now and increase its capacity. It's fluid. It's either or, depending on where you're at and how you evaluate yourself. Okay, good. So it, it's it's a little fluid. It can be the one that, you know, you can look at it from two different perspectives, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So let's say that we just, for purposes of staying away from fitness, we go into finances. Sure. So you, what then, you create, okay, now I need to identify a specific goal within that power pillar. What, what do you want to achieve? I want to achieve $50,000 more this year in 2018. Awesome. Now we got to back into that goal. How's that going to happen? What are your, what are the major tactics? So we do this brainstorming. We look at the tactics. Mm-hmm. So now within your journal and what you're going to do every day is we set up the system, how to engage your four pillar blueprint every day and also have production goals, right? Based off, are you an, are you an employee? Are you an entrepreneur? What do you do? So it looks like this. You get up in the morning and now you have a morning routine. Mm-hmm. You got to get your mindset. You got to breathe. You got to pray. Mm-hmm. You got to sh- uh, do your gratitudes. All right. Or you do your fitness first thing in the morning. So we create a morning routine. Mm-hmm. That morning routine is also planning out your day in your four pillars. My power pillar is my finances. My goal is to increase $50,000 this year in 2018. My three tactics of the day, which are going to help me achieve that, are engaging this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Then I have Love now that. my three other pillars. I have one tactic. 
Family, so I'm going to send my wife a text today letting her know how much I love her. That's a really I've good engaged idea. my wife. My uh, uh, fitness pillar, I'm going to make sure I get at least 30 minutes of my workout today at, you know, the morning or whatever. Or I've already done it and I can check that off. All right. Then I have my, um, I have my faith pillar. Uh, I am going to read from the book of Matthew or I'm going to read a professional development book or I'm going to read about, sure. I don't know, whatever. And that's going to help me spiritually. Sure. Right? So now I have one tactic in three pillars, yep. one, two, three power tactics in my power pillar. So you're making massive progress Mass- in one pillar over the others, but always connecting with all four every day. Because that's full engagement. I love that. And now let's say that I'm an employee or I'm an entrepreneur. I have production goals for that day. What do I got to do? I got to get X amount of emails, X amount of calls, X amount of whatever. So now I have a system of full engagement because that's my mission is to help men or people really help people fully engage life and thrive in their faith, fitness, family, and finances. It's phenomenal. And the power of full engagement. It's a military term. It's good. <laughs> I love it. Jade, uh, as we wrap up, um, I want to make sure I put in some plugs for you. So yeah. you said we can find you at jademolina.com. I'll put the link, of course, in the show notes so everyone will have that. Um, what do you want people to know about what you're doing, if they want to connect with you more? Yeah. Is it social media? Is it uh, buy your new journals? Is it go to a seminar? What, what's the way? Yeah, uh, right now, I'm, uh, if, if you're interested, number one, if you're interested in a keynote speaker or having come, somebody come speak and share their go. story, and, and back you with what you're doing, I would love to come speak. You just, like you said, go to jademolina.com. And um, if you're interested in any of this, uh, we also have menofgrowth.com, but you can get there through Jade Molina. Mm-hmm. Have a podcast. And every Monday, we have a long form. We're having this kind of conversation, talking about issues that we deal with men and how to overcome them. Uh, and then uh, I'm getting, I have a product. I have my journal, my coaching program that is getting ready to launch uh, around October of 2018 That's so and uh, I'll, I'll do my first sell from the stage. Most of my coaching over the course of the year has always been one-on-one small group from just being within the church and now I'm getting ready to grow or die. Yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> and expand that outside of the church into the world of men that are looking for, uh, I close it with this. I'm looking for people who want to fully engage life. If you fully engage life through your faith, fitness, family, finances, you will stop asking the question of what's my purpose, what's my meaning. Uh, The byproduct Mm. of stepping into full engagement are those things. They naturally happen. You stop asking the question because you're living it. I think that was the zinger of the entire episode just now. (laughs) That was a zinger. So the podcast is Grow or Die. Get uh, it on uh, iTunes, at, at Grow. So yeah. wherever you get your podcast, you can get that. Subscribe uh, and grab it. Jade, final question. <laughs> <clears throat> if you could go back and tell a 20-year-old you uh-huh. some advice, what would you say? And if you could go back and change anything around all of your history and your life that you've experienced, things we talked about today, what would you change, if mm-hmm. anything, or would you leave it all the same? Uh, it's funny. The advice I would give to my 20 year old self is the same advice that I got from other people. Mm -hmm. And it was, you need to be a good person. And I didn't listen to them. 
So even telling my 20-year-old self, I wouldn't listen. For some of us, we have to feel the pain, and mm. that's sad. Yeah. Um, and I know that doesn't necessarily answer the question directly. It might, some people might say, So your advice would be you have to feel the pain? Yeah. My advice would be, unfortunately, you're going to go have to feel the sting of life in your own bad decisions, the result of your own bad decisions. Uh, so go out and go. And, and, and if you could change anything, what would you change? Would you leave uh, it all the, the same? Pain, the, the pain, the verbal abuse and the pain that I inflicted upon my wife mm-hmm. before she was my wife and even in the early stages of our marriage. Uh, she has forgiven me, mm-hmm. um, but those wounds are real. And even as far as we've come. And even as they heal, they're still scars. They're still scars and they surface now and then. And it's my fault. Mm-hmm. You know what? I take it back. If I were to go and give a piece of advice to my 20-year-old self, I would say you need to own your decisions. Wow. Be a person of ownership. Wow. Be a person of ownership. And I love this because when, when I asked that last question, a lot of people, the majority of people say, gosh, what? you know what? I wouldn't change a thing because it's who I am. And I know that that's, that that's pretty common. I know you believe that to an extent, but I, I really honor that about you that you said, no, there is that thing, right? Like I yeah. wouldn't change w- what I had to go through to become who I am but I would change the pain I inflict on this person I love so much. And I, I really honor that. That's, that's not easy to say. Because looking back, if I would have owned my uh, unhealthy decision-making, I probably would have got healthy sooner. <laughs> and I wouldn't be <laughs> 45 still working through some stuff. That's awesome. Well, <laughs> hey, uh, I'm looking forward to being 90 and working through yeah, stuff yeah. too, Jade. I really appreciate you having me on today, man. I really enjoyed this. And uh, I love what you do, man. Um, you, you have inspired me in many ways. Uh, the first time I saw you speak on stage and that you were really bold about who you were as a man of faith, but yet you gave such value to your audience from letting them take away what they needed and where they were at. Uh, I was like, that's a good model. And I, I want to step in and be partnered in that with that guy. And that was one of the reasons I reached out to you. And, and we've kind of landed in this place. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> Jay Molina, sir, thank you yes, so sir. much. Been awesome. Isn't this guy? He's just great. I mean, if you, if you're listening to this this close of the podcast at this point, you know what I know. He Jade is just an authentic, real dude. And you know, when you're sitting in a room with someone like that, they just they can't help but rub off on you. Like I I I feel like I'm an authentic person, but when I hang around Jade, I just want to be more authentic. You know, I want to be more transparent. Uh, I I want to stand for something so strongly like he does. So when he talks about you know the 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 four tenets, the four pillars, the the F's uh, that you have to to lead with in your life, in your home, in your business. I just I resonate. I think man, I love that he has that, and he builds his life. He builds his business around that. So um, you definitely owe to yourself to connect with Jade. You can find him. Uh, it's probably the best place is going to be jademolina.com. It's J-A-D-E-M-O-L-I-N-A.com, jademolina.com. You can book him to speak there. You can see his one sheet. Uh, you can find and follow his podcast. You can see those short videos of his, uh, everything Jade. You can find it at Jade Molina. You can, of course, follow him on social media at Jade Molina 
number seven. You can find him on Instagram, find him on Facebook, on all, all, all those things. And, of course, search for his podcast on iTunes. And we'll put a link in the show notes for all those things. You can find his podcast, Men of Growth, on iTunes. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal listen. Um, in fact, i got to do the last final shout-out right now. The microphone and headphones. And you know what I'll do? I'm going to put uh, a photo on Instagram. Uh, look at my Instagram, at Matt Browning, and I will put a photo of me podcasting in the headset that Jade Molina recommended. He showed up to my office, to our podcast studio, and he had this big case with him, and he pulls out a Zoom H6, same recorder I use, and then he pulled out three headsets. He had three of them in there. They're these really, really cool. Hang on, I'm going to take it off right now so I can tell you what it is. It's an Audio-Technica. Uh, I don't know what the, the model is. You know what? I'll, I'll put it on Instagram, and I'll tell you what the model is. But I love these things because it, it's, um, it's clear, it's powerful, and it's a headset with a boom mic, so it sits right in front of your guest. So he just said, hey, man, this is what I do. And he pulled out his two headsets, and he had one, I had one, and I thought, this is brilliant. Never again is my guest going to turn away from the mic and, you know, it kind of sounds funny. So he showed me that. So I just want to give the final shout out and the thanks to Jade. You got me onto my, my newest headset microphone for the pod and I've been using it ever since. So thank you, brother. Uh, I appreciate you. I love you. If you're listening to this again, uh, at this point, make sure you follow me at Matt Browning. Again, I'm going to put a picture of our, the headset I got from Jade up on my Instagram and it'll be on Facebook too. So you can find me there at Matt Browning. Um, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, a rating. If you wouldn't mind, if you wouldn't mind, just take a quick second, especially if you're listening to this on an iPhone. If you're on an iPhone and you have a little podcast app, all you got to do is just check it out as you're looking on this. Um, Just go back to my show. And as you click on the show, if you see a subscribe button, it may have unsubscribed you. Just hit the purple subscribe button, subscribe again. And then if you scroll down and you'll see the rating and review, just feel free to tap one of those stars. Maybe the fifth star, maybe the fourth star. That's okay. Maybe the third, but if you really like it, tap the fifth star and then leave a review with like one or two sentences. It means the world to me, and it sure helps the podcast and the show a lot if you appreciate that. Uh, Remember, you can always find our shows as well if you're in the Chicago area on 102.7 FM at 1530 AM on WCKG as we're getting distribution and syndication there as well. So tune in on your uh, drive to work. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next Tuesday with a Teaching Tuesday. Enjoy the weekend as usual. Get out there, crush it, do something great. Work hard, grind hard, and smile.